Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you for joining us in our study of James. Today we're going to be talking about James 1, 9-18. So I'm going to read that now. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect thing is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to study the book of James. Lord, I pray that you would um, help impart on us the wisdom that James has written here. Father, I pray that you would help guard us against temptation and that, Lord, we would take pride in the position that you have given us and not in ourselves and our own station. Father, I thank you, and in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be kind of talking about two different uh, topics here that James addresses. So first he talks about pride, and then he talks about deception. So if you think back to school, I'm sure... You can think of situations, whether it be in school, whether it be amongst your siblings, whether it be during a sport, whatever it is, I'm sure you can think of times that you have been around someone who is boasting about something, or maybe you've been the one boasting. And if you think about that, we don't usually like to be around people when they're boasting, when they're talking about how good they are compared to everyone else. So... It might seem a little weird to us that James is here saying we should take pride, we should boast about our position in Christ. So we need to understand when examining this passage what boasting means and what James means by telling us to boast in Christ. So this is a different kind of boasting. This isn't the look at me, look how great I am kind of boasting. This is boasting in what God has done for us. This is understanding that the situation that God has placed us in is something worthy for us to be proud of and talk about. And this kind of carries right off the first part of James, where he's talking about suffering. This boasting is addressing the same principle. What he says to the rich and the poor, to both parties, is that we are to take pride in our position. Not our position as demonstrated or given to us by the world or what we've earned in the world, but our position in regards to who God has made us. This message presents 
new opportunities and challenges to both those who are rich and those who are poor. To the poor, or those in humble circumstances, this is an encouragement. Oftentimes, those who have less in the world look at how the world defines success, which is wealth, good house, health, good family, good circumstances, nice vacations, whatever. The world tells us with wealth, you're important. You have power. You are somebody. And though we might like to think otherwise, we as believers are often taken in by this message as well. We often look at those who have wealth and have means and look up to them while looking down on those who are not in that situation. This can also be a temptation for us to start wondering either why God has not blessed us more if we're not super wealthy, or even just thinking about how much easier and more wonderful your life would be with wealth. And this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel is a message of hope to even the poorest of people, that you don't need wealth, you don't need power, you don't need all these worldly things because you have Christ. When the world's looking down on you because of your circumstance, you can remember that because of Christ, you are spiritually rich. And that's what really matters. It's not ultimately not about how much money you have or what nice things you have in this world. What matters is that you are spiritually saved. And so James is telling these poor Christians to boast in their station, to boast in the fact that they have hope in the sight of the only one who matters. They are as exalted as they possibly ever could be. The discipline here is to keep this perspective. So if you are not super wealthy materially, but you exalt Christ and you boast in your situation in Christ, this will help you stand the test that will come. So while this is empowering news for poor believers, it's also humbling news for the rich. When you have means, whether you are the richest of the rich or you have more than 99% of the rest of the world, we can easily take pride in what we have. We can easily find comfort in what we have and think that by what we have, we are safe. We are secure. We don't need anybody else. If we get sick, we've got money to provide for that. We've got health care to provide for that. If something goes wrong, we have access to means that will provide for those things. We think that money enables us to weather storms. And it's often temptation for those of us who have more means than others to look down on others because of that. James here reminds us that spiritually we are bankrupt without Christ. Eternally, we have nothing without Christ. That's humbling. And that's the point. We're not to take pride in our worldly things, our possessions, or find security in them. They can disappear at the blink of an eye. And even if they don't, ultimately, they don't have any eternal value. Wealth is fleeting. It's the last thing we should take pride in. Instead, those who have wealth should boast in their humiliation. That in Christ, they have what truly matters. And this is especially needed in times of trial. 
When difficulties come, it's easy for rich people to think they can depend on themselves. Wealth makes people think that their ability, their means, translates into the ability to be saved. And the gospel shows that it does not. Everyone, even those who have material wealth, have a dependence on God. They cannot save themselves. When we think about our own circumstances, we need to think, which of the two camps do we fall into? Do our circumstances lead us to shame because we don't have much? Or do they lead us to view ourselves as more important than others? Maybe we go back and forth between the two. And James is saying the poor need to remember their high position. They've been exalted by the gospel. The rich are to remember their low position. They've been humbled by the gospel. Reflect on how temporary the things of the earth are. When James says we need to boast, he's saying we need to take pride in our dependence on God, our salvation. And that will enable us to stand the test that is coming. Poor need to reflect on the permanent certainty of heaven, while the rich need to... So this leads us to the second part, where James says, do not be deceived. Sometimes deceit is very obvious. We see a telemarketer scheme, or we have spam from a prince in Nigeria, or we get a pop-up that says, congratulations, you've just won an iPad 12. And these are the kind of situations that it takes discernment to actually see. In the next few verses, James warns us a number of times not to be deceived. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, in verse 16. In verse 22, he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. In verse 26, he says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. So James begins by warning us about being deceived in all areas of temptation. Some deceit is very obvious, but some is not so obvious. Some we really have to discern for ourselves. And it's all too easy to be deceived in the Christian life. Trials can prompt all manner of temptations within us. So we have to understand temptation, and we have to be able to respond to temptation and trials in healthy ways. He's talked for a while about how we respond to trials, and now he's talking about temptation. And these things go hand in hand. Temptation often results from how we respond to difficult circumstances. And to do that, we have to make sure that we are not deceived. So James says in verse 13 that we need to look at ourselves, because oftentimes deception comes from ourselves. He says, when we are tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So a couple things here. We have to expect temptation. James here shows that Christians should expect temptation to be a normal feature of everyday life. And that could be periods of really intense temptation, or that could be periods where we barely notice temptation. Either way, you are going to be tempted. You may be experiencing temptation right now. We can't be surprised by it. But we also can't blame temptation on other people or for the temptation we experience. We can't blame God for that. It might be easy to think, God's the one who made me like this. He's the one who gave me these weaknesses. He's the one who put me in this situation. But James counters this in verse 13. God cannot be tempted by evil. He's untemptable. Sin holds no attraction to him as it does to us. He is utterly pure. And because of this, we know 
because God is not a part of temptation, he cannot be the one tempting us. The uncomfortable truth is this. The evil desires of our own hearts are what tempt us. We can't blame any of the things that tempt us on things around us. It's our own evil desires and our own evil hearts. It's not the fault of our parents, not the fault of our friends, not the fault of our circumstances, certainly not the fault of God. Our circumstances may be the occasion for sin, but they're not the cause of it. Our own desires are the cause of our temptation. The desire of sin that wells up within us from our own hearts is what causes temptation. We would not be tempted if we were like God and were pure and not evil. But we know because of the fall that we are inherently evil and thus we suffer temptation. And James then talks about how temptation hunts us down. He uses words of a hunt of luring, coaxing, like coaxing prey and then striking and dragging us away. So our temptation comes from our sinful desires, from our own hearts, but it's us that they entice and attack. As Christians, there is a deep tension within us. There are two elements struggling back and forth between those of the Holy Spirit and those of our sinful human hearts. If we're to fully understand the seriousness of temptation, we have to look at where it leads. In verse 15, James says, After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Many of you know I'm a big Star Wars fan, and this reminds me of to see if he has what it takes to become a Jedi. And Jedi Master Yoda tells Anakin he senses much fear in him, and he says, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. It's the same thing with our temptations. We have in Star Wars Episode One when the Jedi Council is interviewing Anakin, inherent evil desires in our hearts often give way to thoughts. Our thoughts give way into sin. Sin has a way of getting stronger, just like anything that's birthed. A human baby will get stronger. A young tree will grow and get stronger. Sin is the same way. If it's indulged, it gets stronger. We like to think that, oh, we'll indulge it. We'll just, I'll just sin right now and get it out of the way, and then I don't have to think about it. But that's not what James says happens. Sin doesn't just go away and leave us alone. Acting on sin is never the end of it. Our desires, it causes it to take a life of its own. Once temptation and desire has given birth, it grows until it reaches the point where we can't control it. It doesn't stop when we want it to or plan for it to. It takes us further and further and further away from Christ. And if we indulge sin and temptation, oftentimes we find ourselves doing things we never could have imagined. Again, going back to Star Wars, we see Anakin fall to the dark side because he's afraid of losing his wife. The desire of his heart to not be lonely, to have the power to save his loved ones from death, leads him to do terrible things, leads him to turn against his friends, leads him to kill Jedi children. In the same way, if you think of David in the Bible, and you think of the story of David and Bathsheba, that's a great illustration for how sin and desire can take us down the wrong path. David goes from not going out to war with his men like he was supposed to as the king, to going up to his roof during the time when ladies were bathing, to seeing Bathsheba, to lusting after Bathsheba, to wanting Bathsheba, to bringing her to his palace, to sleeping with her, 
she gets pregnant. David tries to cover it up by having one of his best friends, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, so that it'll look like the child is Uriah's. Uriah doesn't go through with it because he feels loyalty to all his men out in the field who aren't allowed to be with their wives right now. Come back, tries to make him sleep with her, so David has Uriah killed. All of this terrible stuff. Again, Uriah was one of David's best friends. All these terrible things happen because David gave way to temptation. David indulged in a, what he might have thought was a little temptation, and then a bigger one, and a bigger one, and a bigger one, and a bigger one, and he thought he was controlling it, but the sin began controlling him, and he began getting more and more panicked by how big all this was getting. Sin ultimately gives birth to death. Sin leads to death. This has always been the case. God told Adam and Eve the consequence of their sin was they were going to die. And James wants us to see this all starts with our desires. Temptation often feels harmless. It often feels pleasant. But James shows us where it all leads so that we will learn we need to fight sin at its conception. The very moment we think of evil, we think of sinning, we have to fight it then or it will control us. In times of trial and temptation, it's very easy to forget what we are truly like, desires lurking in our hearts. So when James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters, he's talking about the self-deception that makes us often blame God for trials and temptations and excuse ourselves when we are tempted. So we often forget how bad we are, and we forget how good God is. In times of trial especially, we lose sight of the good things God has given us, and we're deceived about who he is like. We have to remember constantly that God is the source of all blessing, and that doesn't mean that God is just going to give you health and wealth. We've seen the Christian church in the West especially be corrupted by this. It doesn't mean that. It means that God is sovereign that he takes an interest in each and every one of us. He's dependable. He doesn't change. We have to take responsibility for the his commitment to us never falters. And ultimately, he's gracious. He's the God who gives us new birth. James showed us the cycle we're born into of temptation, bearing way to sin, bearing way to death. He is not shifting his position. He is always good to us. All trials and temptations work together for the good of those who love God. In God's graciousness, the only way to answer that cycle is to be part of a new cycle. So God gives birth to us through truth. We've been given the word of truth. By us coming under the word of God, by us coming under his law, we become the first fruits of God's creation. The message of Jesus is so powerful that it penetrates our hearts. It changes our lives. It makes us new people. And our new life is just the beginning of what God is up to. A plan that incorporates the whole of creation as God renews everything. So every perfect gift comes from above from God's gracious hand. But there is nothing that God gives us that is more wonderful than the birth of the new birth in our hearts. And this is what James points to when he reminds us that God is powerful dependable, and graciously good. This is what we are called to always keep in our minds, especially when we face trials and temptations. We have to remember that those trials, those temptations are temporary. 
that what really matters is the loving embrace of our Savior someday and eternity with him. So I encourage you, think about how you react towards temptation. Do you indulge it or do you fight against it? Think about how often you either become ashamed because of your sin or because of who you are or your station in life or self-dependent. Flee from both those things and rely fully on the good God who loves you and who created you into a new cycle. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this good word from James. Lord, I just pray that we would be a people here at North Cincy Student Ministries that would rely on you, that we would be a people who fight temptation at its conception and not indulge in it, that we would be a people who trust in you as the source of everything that is good and right and holy, and that one day, Lord, we would be a people who'd be spending eternity with you. I thank you for the good gifts that you have given us, and in your son's name we pray. Amen.